That's good. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to your, uh, open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at today, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Give you a few moments to do that. Okay. As we go into uh, the second chapter of Ephesians, I want you to keep a certain uh, train of thought in your mind, and that is about how life is about stages. Um, Every single thing about our lives are governed by moments of time um, that are stages. You're in a stage right now in your life, uh, sitting here today. Richard Needham best summed up the seven stages of man. I even put that up on the screen so you can see what they are. There are seven stages of man. Spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. How many of you right here, right now, you're at the thrill stage of life? There is no joy in this room. Sandy Spruill is the only one that's thrilled in life. How about pills? I got a couple of those. Bills? Everybody but a teenager, right? All right. Uh, spills? Someone? Yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, those are stages, and those are the stages that we're all in throughout our lifetime. But did you know there are also stages within the church life? Uh, Dr. Vance Havner stated that uh, spiritual ministries, quote, often go through four stages, four stages in a church. There's the stage of the man, the movement, the machine, and then the monument. And then the monument, the man, uh, the movement, machine, and monument. You know, it was 104 years ago this year that there was a man somewhere in this area that had an idea. And that idea was to start a church. And when he started that church, eventually it became a movement More people in the community were coming, and more were getting involved. And as they were getting involved, things started to happen, and things started to come together, and people were joining, people were getting involved. They're doing the work of the ministry, and like a well-oiled machine, it starts running. But if that machine goes unchecked, and it doesn't get the type of service that it needs, it's going to break down, it's going to be no good, And it's going to be tossed into the trash. Or a monument's going to be erected of what it used to be. Because it's no more now. It's it's gone. We looked uh, last year at the seven churches of Revelation. Y'all, these were real churches of real people going through real things that we call life. And they all right now today have a monument. Monuments will always arise when the people inside choose death rather than life. Today, what I want us to do, I want us to get a service check. Every single one of us, uh, staff, lay people, everybody, everyone 
gets a service check. And the reason is because we need a service check, every single one of us. We cannot go through doing what we do in our lives if we do not step back and take a look at the big picture and how we fit in uh, with that picture. The last couple of Sundays of this year, we took a look at messages that has everything to, to do with what we're going to look at today. We looked at out with the old, in with the new. And the reminder that when God saved you, the Holy Spirit created within you a new person. And we are to live with this new person. We're to do away with the old. The old is gone. That's the old, that's the, the old man. That's the old nature. We have a new nature, and that nature is the Holy Spirit that is in us. That is Jesus who is in you and Jesus that's in me. And we need to remember that. We are to walk in the Spirit so that we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. That's doing away with the old and with the new. Last week, we looked at the new you, which is a reference to how we need the Holy Spirit to have the freedom to uh, move and work in our lives because He is our cutting edge. Our abilities to overcome the things that we will encounter in life day to day is going to be dependent on how we're walking with God. And that's our cutting edge. And today, it's the time for a tune-up. I really want us here to uh, take a look at what the Lord has done in you and in me when He saved us. And what I want us to do, like opening up a book, reading a story we've never read before, we're going to open this up and we're going to see things from two different perspectives. We're going to see it from man's perspective. And then I want us to see how this story plays out from God's perspective. Because when you see it from God's perspective, it's going to change you. It's going to change you. Ephesians chapter 2. You can go ahead and stand on this. We're going to, I'll just uh, read through these seven verses and we can sit right back down. But in honor of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning, and God, we want to ask that you would bring alive this passage in our hearts. Because, Lord, we can see where we were. We can see where we were headed. 
but we can see where you stepped into human history and you changed everything because of how much you love us. I pray, God, that you would help us all today to take this service check as we look at our hearts and we evaluate our hearts as to uh, where we are and what we think and, and what we should be doing. God, I just want to ask you to bless everybody that's here today, especially our visitors, and God, that you would just encourage them throughout the week. All of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this is a great passage. If you want to look at a beautiful picture of grace, love, and salvation, powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Um, it's even more astounding um, when you take a look at the condition that He found us in. This was who you were before. And the position that He places us in the moment we give our lives to Jesus. Now, five things we're going to take a look at what uh, describes the condition of man. This is what man is. In your bulletin, if you're filling this out, uh, the first blank, as you're taking a look at who man is, you're going to see we were dead. We were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, the Bible makes it really, really, really clear that there wasn't an ounce of life that was in any of us at the very beginning of our, 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 our spiritual walk. Every single one of us were born in sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've missed the mark. We cannot get to Him. There's nothing we can do that can put us to where He is. We are dead. We're dead. And we're not only dead, but the Bible says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. There's two different things He's drawing out here. It's not just the fact that we're not alive, we're just dead, but we're dead because of the state of what we are and what we're doing. We're in trespasses and sins. Um, it is one thing to be dead. It's another one to be found in the condition of being dead. That word trespasses, it literally means a falling aside. That means we fell uh, away from truth. We fell away. And the Bible says we were dead in our sins. That word sins, it literally means to miss the mark. There's a goal. There's a target. And we're completely uh, uh, away from that target, that goal. We're not wandering on the right path. None of us. No one in this room, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you live, regardless of whatever, every single person has missed this mark. So get this in your mind right now. When God looks at our natural state, our natural state, we're dead. He sees us as dead in our transgressions and our sins, in our natural state. Now I want you to think about this. When a builder, or an architect, an engineer, when they go to begin to create things, to make things, there's a lot of calculations that they use. When it's time to put it all together, 
They're going to pick the best wood, the, the best marble, the best fabric, whatever it is that is going into this thing that they are creating. They're going to pick the best. What's tried, what's proven, what clearly looks to be the best way to go, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. But where does God go when he goes to do and build and create? Where does God go? The Bible says right here, he goes to the refuse heap. He goes to the garbage dump. He goes to the cemetery. He goes as opposite of where we go, and that's where he begins. Because you see, that's where he found you, and that's where he found me. We were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. There was nothing about you that won his favor because he is love. He is love. Any defects, any problems that may arise in materials, the human builder is not going to use. But God uses everything that we would not use. The Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God always does things completely uh, different. He'll use that which is useless. He'll use that which is lifeless. He'll use that uh, which is pointless. And he's going to do that to begin the work that he is now going to create by choosing you and by choosing me. Take a look at this verse you're going to see on the screen. It's a great one. It's one of the good ones. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Isn't that neat? He chose us, and he says, I'm not going to count their trespasses against them. Every single sin that could ever be committed, ever be committed, Jesus' love is so high that he looks at that sin and he says, I'm not going to hold that against them. Now, we clearly know that God does not joke around with sin. It only takes one sin to separate a person from him for an eternity. God is very serious about sin. But he does not hold our sins, our trespasses against us. Why? Because of the nature of who he is. But we were dead. We had nothing to offer. We didn't bring anything to the table when we pulled up a chair and sat across from God. We couldn't. We were dead. The Bible says that we were also deluded. If you're looking chapter 2, verse 2, the very beginning of verse 2, it says, "...in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working, and the sons of disobedience." We were deluded. We were deluded. You know, before the Holy Spirit started working on you in your life, you never gave a thought about spiritual things. Now, just out of curiosity, 
How many of you were saved at a point in your life, later in your life maybe, where you can definitely remember what life was like before you became a Christian? Anyone? You can really remember what it was like before you gave your heart to Jesus. Well, I sure can. For those that can really remember that, have you ever gone back, turned the page before your conversion experience, have you ever gone back and started thinking about how many times you, you thought about Jesus, how many times you thought about God, how many times you thought about wanting to do the right thing because you want to please God? Have you ever stopped to consider how much time you spent wanting to include Him in your day-to-day -day endeavors? I do. I never did. It's like I just literally got dropped out of some other world. and a I mean, the moment I became Christ, everything, everything changed. And before that happened, I never gave a thought about God. Oh, sure, the thought of dying is going to happen, but hey, we all get there. We just have our own path to get there, right? I mean, that's the thinking. That's the thinking. And for those of you who were not raised in the church and maybe you weren't taught and, and, and you, you, you never really, you never had a reason to really want to take it serious as to what happens after we die and when Jesus becomes real in your life, when all of a sudden the Bible is now full of old, boring stories but everything's exciting and it's alive, and you sit there and you go, where was I at? How can I have been so far removed? It's like you were sedated your whole life and then you get brought out of your sedation and all of a sudden you're, you're like, you're just totally a brand new person. You want to know why that is? Paul talked about it right here. You were walking according to the course of this world. Paul told the Corinthians, the God of this world, that's a small g, it's not a big g, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving lest they see, believe, and hear. That is why people can do the most craziest of things. And you think, do they never pay attention to, to their actions? To knowing that one day something is going to call them into an accountability kind of a moment where they're going to be held to everything. They're going to have to account for every single thing they've ever done. Every single thing they've done. Every single, everything that they've said. And you're like, how can you not think of that? Why does that not register to you? Because Paul says right here that Satan blinds the eyes of the unbelieving lest they start to think about this stuff. And on that point, I want to say this right here, right now. Aren't you glad, aren't you grateful that you're not in that spot right now? Amen? I mean, if you really want to look at winning a lottery, you just want something much higher than a lottery. Because your money, if you win the lottery, is still going to be around after you die. It's going to be spent by... All of those family members for who knows how long. But guess what? You're going to a place where your money's not going to matter. You're going to a place. It's an eternity. It's an eternity. And it is a 
fun eternity. Aren't you glad that Jesus reached down and he tapped you on the shoulder and he pierced your heart and you did not let your pride reign supreme. You chose to meet God where he was and to accept the thing that he was doing when he came to you. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you're here today and you don't know if you know Jesus, y'all, you can know that that quick. You just got to come down and talk to someone. We would be more than happy to walk you through that. It can happen. It can happen really fast. It can happen. But people are deluded. Uh, theologian John Phillips had this to say. He said, quote, The Bible clearly says that there are spirits in the unseen world of the air. These spirits are fallen, malignant, and bitterly hostile to man. And they are ruled by the dread prince of the power of the air. This dark lord who roams the heavenlies is Satan. He is the one who brings evil influences to bear upon the world of men. Satan had such complete control over us that his influence was an all-encompassing as air is. That's why in our unregenerate state, we were deluded. Point number three. We were not only dead, we were not only deluded, but the Bible shows us in the second part of verse 2, we were disobedient. We were disobedient. According to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You know, that term, disobedience, sons of disobedience, it does not necessarily only mean that all of us in this room, we were disobedient children. For the Greek uses that expression and goes really, really deep on that term disobedience. It literally means we were sons and we were daughters of the disobedient one who is Satan. We had the nature and we had the character of that evil spirit who prompts people daily to disobey God. Don't believe that? Take a look up on the screen. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. That was when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're bragging, talking about having Moses and Abraham as their father and all this stuff. And after they went through their putrefied... Uh, 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 Sermon of righteous, just puke. Jesus immediately went to the juggler vein. He didn't waste any time, and he literally told them, you don't know Abraham. You don't know Moses. You, you don't know God. But I will tell you who you do know. You know Satan, because he's your father, not God. Can you imagine that? I mean, talk about the establishment being just brought down to its knees. And yet, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees? Your father is Satan. The person that you think you worship, the person that you think you belong to, 
you not only don't, you belong to Satan. That's pretty big. You know, in Romans 2, uh, Paul uh, tells us, through one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world. So we are heirs to a disobedient spirit. There you go again. We were disobedient. The fourth point, the Bible says we were defiled. Every single one of us in this room, we were defiled. This means we were held captive by our natural desires. Paul alludes to this by talking about the lust of the flesh and our human nature. And the depravity of our human nature knows no bounds. We were defiled. And then last, we were doomed. We were doomed. We were born of sinful parents into a sinful world because the nature of man is sinful. It's nothing that you learn. It's who you are. The Bible says that we were hell-bent against the Creator of all things, and we were referred to here as children of wrath. Look at that. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. While Paul's literally saying, as these words were being read to this church in Ephesus, he says, listen, everyone that's outside of these walls and they don't know Jesus and they haven't heard about Jesus yet, but you, you do, you have found him. You were children of wrath just like everybody outside. That's what he was saying, as the rest. When you come in here, it's not because he saved you, because you had something going on for you and he needed you. He saved you like he needs to save the rest. We're no different, no different than anyone else that's out there. No different. But praise the Lord, as Paul would soon tell us, God is rich in mercy, and he begins to create this theme on a scale that's just awesome. Here were the stages of our past. We were without God, we were without Christ, and we were without hope. All hope. Paul told the Thessalonian believers, we do not grieve as the rest of the world does who has no hope. This, uh, when was it? Oh, time's getting away from me. Uh, Wednesday, we had the funeral for Lois Braswell, really longtime member of our church. She knew everybody in, uh, in this community. Her and Charlie both. Charlie passed away 25 years ago. Uh, I know that because Charlie's funeral was the first funeral here at Retta I officiated. And that's been over 100 funerals now. And we're at the funeral home, and I saw Sarah, his granddaughter, um, a, a young lady, and she was going to uh, read something. And I was talking to her at the beginning just to make sure, you know, do you, I want her to know exactly, hey, here's, don't worry about when you come up. I'll let you know when it come up. You just sit there and go along for the ride. You just relax. Don't worry about nothing. 
And she said, well, but I'm so emotional. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through it. And I said, if you don't get through it, then you're not normal. This was your grandmother. And I go, nobody's looking for perfection. So don't, don't worry about it. That's, that's just silly stuff. Don't worry about it. And then I said, your grandmother right now, she is in heaven. She had a real, genuine relationship with Jesus. She's doing a lot better than, than we are right here, right now. So you just get up there and you just, you know, you do whatever. You just give your best shot. And then I told her, I said, you know what's crazy? I said, I, I did your grandfather's funeral too. And she said, she said oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Grandma really wanted to make sure that you were going to do hers too. And I said, well, thanks. And she said, I was there at that first funeral, well, for, uh, for Grandpa. I said, oh, yeah? And she goes, yeah, I was five years old. I don't remember much of it, though, because I was really young. I was just five. And I looked at her, and I just said, you know, I came over here to encourage you, but I'm going to leave here very discouraged because you're the first person in a long time to make me feel like I'm old. <laughs> I am on my way down, too. Move over. I'm about to lay down, too, in this place. I mean, you talk about, oh, my gosh. And I just looked at her, and I just said, well, time goes by when you're having fun, doesn't it? And she goes, yep. And I said, you're going to do fine. You know something? It goes by really, really fast. And not only does it go by fast, uh, we need to recognize who we were, where we were headed before God turned the page and he did something. And we read about that in this passage right here. Uh, Paul reveals our past. We just saw that in the first three verses of this passage. This is man. But now God is going to focus, or Paul is going to turn our focus, I mean, to God and what he's going to do. And we get to see from God's perspective what he did and why he did what he did. Now, that's interesting. It's kind of like you get to see what was in the mind of the producer when he made this movie. You can see the movie. You can live the movie out. But when you get to see the behind the scenes and why he did not uh, this and that, that's always kind of interesting. Paul is now allowing us to see a little bit of the picture of what was in the mind of God when he did what he did. Because let's not forget what he had to work with. We were dead. The most astounding interruption in human history is found in verse 4 with the first word, but. But God. But God being rich in mercy. And what does that follow? That follows we were children of wrath. Children of wrath, even as the rest of the people. But God being rich in mercy. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God who is rich in mercy? Amen? Boy, amen. He not only loves us, but Paul stated, check this out, if you didn't see it, see it now. But God being rich in mercy because of His love with which He loved us. It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? But God being rich in mercy because of His great love his great love with which he loved us he didn't have a crush on us he loves you 
He doesn't just think about you as a passing thought. He thinks about you all the time. He loves you. And He wants you to be with Him. He loves us. Paul put this passage, and this passage right here, I think arguably is the most beautiful pointed passage of three verses than you read anywhere in the entire Bible that sums up God's heart for mankind. It's in verses 4 through 6. You're going to see it. It is amazing. How about Psalm 103? One of the best psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalms 103, verses 10 through 12, which says this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Isn't that true? That's all we've been looking at right here. Nor has He rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love towards those who fear Him. Fear means respect. Fear means honor. He doesn't want us petrified. He just wants us to revere Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Boy, isn't that good news? That is the best news. There is nothing anywhere better than that kind of news right there. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Every single one of us in this room, we deserve death. We deserve separation. The one who created us is the one that runs after us. We're the ones, we turn our back on God. We are the ones where we told God where he could go. We are the ones who disrespected. We are the ones who throw him out. We are the ones who, instead of thanking him for what he has given us, the creation, everything, we are the ones that told him, thank you, but we're going to do it our way. We don't need you to tell us what to do. We got this. You can go now. That's who we are. And in spite of that, the Bible says, but because of God's great love toward us. So I want us to look at four quick points about God's perspective. Number one, the Bible says He loved us. That one's pretty simple. Warren Wiersbe said, Because love is a part of God's very being, love is an attribute of God. But God has two kinds of attributes. He has an intrinsic attribute and he has a relative attribute. Here's the difference between the two. An intrinsic attribute of God is something that describes God's nature. It's not what he shows as much as what he is. The Bible says he is love. The Bible says he is holy. This is his nature. This is what makes up this God that we, that we serve. The Bible says that He is life. These are the intrinsic attributes of God. Relative attributes. Relative attributes are how we perceive things from God as they relate to us. For example, 
as God relates truth, because God is truth, an intrinsic attribute of God. He is true. He is not false. He is 100% true, 100% of the time. He cannot be anything else. Because God is truth, when he relates to man, that is seen as faithfulness. We see that he is faithful. Why is he faithful? Because he is true. That's why he is faithful. Another example, God is by nature, he is holy. He is holy. So when we look at God and when we relate to God being holy, we see that as justice. He is holy. He will repay. There is justice coming because He is holy. He will not let things go. Because God is love. When we receive that, because as the nature, that's Him. This, this is who God is. We see that in grace, and we see it in mercy. You know, God loves us so much that He saves us. His love is not what saves us. It's His grace and His mercy. Love is who He is. Love is who He is. We get to be the recipients of the, the results of who He is. And He is merciful. And He is full of grace. And He extends it to whosoever will, the Bible says. He not only loved us, second, He quickened us. This means He made us alive. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. And then it says, by grace you have been saved. doesn't say by love you've been saved. It says by grace. Why? Because that's the result we get because of who he is. We get his grace. And then we get his mercy. Uh, that key word right there in verse 5 is that word even. He loved us even when we were in our trespasses and sins. Our spiritual resurrection is much greater because it puts us in a reunion with Christ. God made us, as it says, alive together with Him. As members of His body, we are united with Him. You'll see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. And because of that, we share in His resurrection life and His power. You'll see that in Revel oh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 as well in verses 19 through 20. Third point, he not only loved us, he not only quickened us, but the Bible says he exalts us. Us. He exalts us. The only thing, the last time I looked, the only thing you do with a dead person is you bury them. That's the only thing you do with them. But not if you're God. If you're God, He resurrects them. He changes them. He has the ability to take away the final say of a person in their sin, trapped in their sin. And He changes everything. He gives them a brand new start. 
The work of God's mercy is to seat us in heavenly places with Jesus, as Paul says right here. His goal is to get you in that place. And when you think about it in that way, we're already there. The believer, the Bible says, is in the heavenly realms of experience with Christ. While we live here on earth, spiritually, you have been placed in the heavenlies. The believer right now is in both realms. You're not only in Burleson, but you're in heaven. Bodily, we're not there yet, but that's where we're seated. That's where we're at. That's why Paul says, keep seeking the things that are above. Why? Because that's where you're at. When you were saved and you were placed in Jesus, you have two residences. You're going to carry out the work that you're doing right here, right now. But one second after you are gone, you are with the Lord. And the last point, the last point is he keeps us. God's purpose in redemption is not simply to rescue us from hell. Uh, as great as a work as that is. His ultimate purpose in our salvation is that all eternity, for all eternity, He wants the church to glorify God's grace. Ephesians 1, 13-14, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Why? To the praise of His glory. He saved you so you could be with Him. You could worship Him. You would want to learn from Him. You know why eternity is eternity? Because that's how long it's going to take for us to try to figure out who it is that we serve and how awesome He is and how much love He has. It's going to take an eternity, and we're not even going to be able to do it. That's not enough time. And that's why God saved you. You know, there's a verse in the Bible, too, that says, for He recognized that man was just dust. He gets the fact that we're going to make those wrong decisions and how quickly we can turn and fall away. He gets that. But He still pursues you. He chases after you. You know, if I were to take a pen, if I were to take a pen, and if the pen were to have its own way, gravity would also take effect because there's this thing called the law of gravity. That pen could say to me, leave me alone. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. I don't need you anymore. It can do that. But this law of gravity is always going to still be in effect. Every single time. That's a law. You cannot break that law. It is what it is. It will fall. And the law of the flesh that we have literally also says we can please ourselves, And we can. We can do what we want when we want. Forget about what God says. We can do what we want. But know this. 
That law of the flesh is also going to determine the direction of the life that where you're going to be going. Now, if I were to bend down and pick this pen back up, there's another law that is happening. Uh, I will have not canceled out the law of gravity. That law of gravity, it's still happening right now. But I'm going to override that law of gravity, and I'm going to have the power to pick this up. Gravity is always going to be in effect, but it's not now ruling this pen. Because I chose to step in and grab it. And I can do that because I have life. Life will overrule the existing laws that are already in place. I intervened and I got the pen. And I'm going to do with it as I want. You know, the Holy Spirit intervened in the laws that we have, the laws of sin, trespasses and sin. There's only one way to go, and we're going to go down. That's it. Can't do anything about it. But God, who in his intrinsic attribute is love, is truth, and life, God can intervene. And these other laws, guess what? They're still in effect. But God is the one that can walk in, and God is the one that can change. He can do what he wants, because he is God. And he has done that by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And he has done that in order to bring us back to him. Even when we were in our trespasses and sins, he showed a great love for us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you. And God, we just want to thank you for so much. God, you have done so much. You are doing so much. You always do so much for us. God, we can't even put into words just how thankful we are because you're the one that made the move to create a game plan so that we could know you, that we could go to be with you one day. It's nothing that we did that did anything at all. It's what you did. You went to a cross. The Bible says you despised its shame. We can't even imagine the amount of pain. And you did that because that's what it takes to pay the price that we owe. And all that you have asked from us is to follow you. So Lord, this morning, that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to follow you. God, we are reminded that in our state where we were, God, we were dead. But Lord, being rich in mercy and grace because of your love, you bought us, you saved us. God, we're going to be reminded here in just a few minutes when we leave and we go back outside that the world, there's so many people, God, they don't have a clue. And that's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. They don't even think about their actions. God, you have saved us. You brought us to our senses. No longer do we need to live according to what we want to do and how we want to do it. We now get to serve you by the way in which we live. 
to glorify you in these decisions. God, to, to make the most of our time by trying to impact the lives of other people because of the love that we know that you have, the love that we're still trying to understand. God, I pray that today, that if there's anyone in this room and they're struggling, they don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, that, that God, you would speak to them and you would help them to settle that. It starts with a prayer. It is followed up through repentance. They're going to start following you now. And then it's finished off by the way they live their life for you. God, I just ask that you would be with everyone here today. And God, you would meet them where they are. But Lord, I pray too that you would just encourage them. Let them swallow any pride that they might have and let them go to the cross. They can go and talk to someone, God, that can meet them and help them with wherever they are right now. But I pray, Lord, you would move this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.